Hello, this is Ken Root. Welcome to my new podcast series, People in the Know. It's brought to you by Concept by Iowa Hearing. I've worn their hearing instruments for almost 20 years. They are good people who sell state-of-the-art hearing aids and give great customer service. For a free hearing screening, go to iowahearing.com or call 877-955-4020. That's 877-955-4020. I like to talk with people who are eager to meet the day with ideas and energy that just seem to have their minds spinning and their limbs moving. Well, today's guest on People in the Know is just such a lady. Her passion is hemp, not the kind you smoke, but the kind that grows 14 feet tall and can be utilized in just about any product that needs fiber or bulk cellulose. Hemp and marijuana have been considered the same plant since the 1930s, but in the 2018 farm legislation, Movie star Woody Harrelson teamed up with Kentucky Senator Mitch McConnell to add in a provision that hemp could be cultivated legally for industrial purposes. A lot more to it than that. But here we are at the expiration of that farm bill five years later, and Melissa Nelson Baldwin from Great Bend, Kansas, a part of an operation called South Bend Industrial Hemp, has done a great deal to normalize and popularize hemp in the real world of agriculture. And Melissa also has been traveling internationally, recently to a conference she'll tell us a little about. She's part of an operation with her husband and her brother-in-law to also process hemp into its useful parts. So Melissa, hello and welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I love the intro that you just did. You summed up basically the last five years of my life uh, in about 30 seconds. So you made it sound good. Well, you have... (laughs) done so much and i traveled to your place you invited me out there uh last year and i got a a look at it and i found it very interesting not just what you're growing but the enthusiasm you bring to it and the competency you bring to it let me say that in a very positive manner you're a researcher as well as a farmer and you have a research company and i find that to be interesting but tell us about him so we can bring people in and get them hooked, so to speak, on what we're talking about. What is the potential for this crop as an industrial product? Yeah, so that's a really big question. Um, Right now, hemp only composes of about or is comprised of about 51,000 acres in the United States for industrial purposes. So this is bioplastics. This is bedding or insulation um, and housing um, rope or textiles, as you guys know, um, like clothing and things like that, which is what hemp is most commonly known for outside of like the CBD space. Um, so we are such a small drop in it, but we do continue to grow. Um, the potential is the, the demand continues to increase due to consumer trends. Um, you know, kind of the hot topic right now in, for consumers is more sustainability, everything along those more regenerative lines and hemp can answer a lot of those uh, needs that consumers are calling for. Now, early on, you and your husband and brother-in-law decided you could build a hemp processing plant. Um, What's the status of it now? 
rocking and rolling. Um, so we started the hemp, the processing facility in 2020. Um, we became operational in May of 2021. Since that time, we ran almost 3 million pounds of product through our processing facility and decorticated that. Um, our client list continues to grow. We really enjoy servicing uh, small companies from coast to coast and border to border. And we even have a few overseas customers. So the demand continues to grow. I would say that's one of our biggest challenges at the processing facility is keeping up with orders um, and servicing some of our larger clients just because of the limitations of our machine in terms of capacity. You mentioned the word decorticator, and I had to learn these things when I was there because it is a bit foreign to me. Tell us what it does and um, about this demand. Do you have enough demand that you can be profitable in that plant now? Yeah. So to tell you a little bit more about that is uh, the hemp plant, if you're new to it, think of like bamboo. So it's a very tall stalk and a decorticator basically goes and it strips the outside of that stalk, which is what we call bass fiber from the inside woody herd. So there are two main customers that we have either wanting the bass fiber or they're wanting the herd. And if you want the herd, you need it 99% free of bass fiber and vice versa. So that's what our machine does through a series of stripping and sorting and combing. It basically those two processes. You know, our biggest clients, I would say we have more herd customers at this time, which is why, and, and you can see that reflected in how our farmers grow and the seed we select and everything. They are a full service stop from seed to final sale. But in terms of manufacturers and customers that are requesting, we work mostly with large animal barns, um, bioplastic facilities, and natural builders that are more focused on a sustainable form of building. I remember plants when I was a kid that were weeds that we called it pith, P-I-T-H, in the middle of that plant. Would that be a similarity yeah. to what you're talking about, the inner and outer part, that they're they're very different? Yeah, that's a great representation, though, if, if you're familiar with that. Uh, that's, a, that's a great way to describe it. Tell me about the uh, growing of this crop. Uh, and we can go back to ground zero, which I think for many people we have to do. How is it that you can grow this crop in a landscape of Kansas, which is pretty dry, has pretty harsh changes in the climate? Um, is hemp an annual crop and, and what does it take to get it to grow? So hemp can be used for several types of industrial purposes and grow it reflects the end use. So that's one of the big things that you have to think about and how it diversifies from quote unquote convention farming. You know, you plant corn and you plant it at 32,000 seeds per acre or whatever your regional planting rate is. And that corn can go into a cattle lot. It can go to the co-op, be sent to Mexico for tortillas. It can, you know, there's a lot of, of potential uses what, and no matter how you grow them. For hemp, if you're growing for textile grade hemp, you are going to grow it at a very high population. Uh, it's going to be similar to wheat, which is around 1.1 million plants per acre. Um, so you want very thin stalks and a lot of them. Now, if you're growing for herd production, which is what we do, you're going to reduce that seeding rate because we need a bigger 
inside of the stock because that's where that herd is developed. And so we're targeting more 500,000 seeds per acre. On the flip side, if you're growing for grain, which can be used for feed and companion animals or can be crushed for like hemp seed and cooking oil, um, that's going to have a different seeding rate as well. Most farmers are putting this in with conventional drills like they do with wheat or soybeans or any, any type of feed crop that is drilled. Um, and you're just going to harvest it with your, your conventional uh, hay farming techniques. So you're going to come in with a, a swather or a sickle you're going to rake it and then you're going to put it into bales. When I was there, you were what I think the term is redding some of this. You were leaving it out there in the field to be wet and dry. Is that still a good process for some of what your product is? It is. So in order for us to be as efficient as possible at the processing facility, we ask our farmers to do a field red. And that bass fiber that we've talked about and that inside what he heard it is actually held together. Um, we call it by nature's glue. Um, and it's called pectin. And so we want mother nature to do the hard yards of breaking down that pectin for us. So our machine doesn't have to do it in the processing facility. And so through a process of like dew in the morning and then heat in the afternoon or rainfall and then sunshine, you can actually get microorganisms uh, eating that pectin and breaking that down for us. So by the time it gets to the processing facility, we can actually process faster, more efficiently and have a better separation uh, because we took that extra five days in the field to red. And some of what you just said is about 2000 years old, isn't it? Because it is. the process it just like that. Yes, we have not, you know, if it isn't broke, why fix it? And that, that seems to work pretty well. Uh, there are different ways to ret. Uh, we field ret. I know in some of your cultures in like Asia and things like that, they water ret, uh, which we don't find really sustainable for our area because we just don't have water here. Uh, so field retting makes much more sense for us. Melissa Nelson is my guest. She's got a Baldwin on the end of that. She's married to a long suffering man who I had a great conversation with, and his brother is part of the farming operation as well. And you guys were named Kansas Farm Bureau, what, Family of the Year? Farm Family of the Year, yes. And his wife was included, who I didn't even know he had a wife. Uh, I didn't mean it that way. But uh, congratulations to you. Was that a shock? Thank you. Um, you know, we're very active within Farm Bureau and Farm Bureau has three pillars and it's awareness, education, and advocacy. And if you know anything about South Bend Industrial Hemp, our farm, or my research company, those are really three pillars that we stand on as well. It's really been a, kind of a natural progression to partner with Farm Bureau, uh, continuing to spread our message and really getting foundational agricultural institute, you know, that, that supports farmers at the grassroots level. Uh, so it was very much a surprise and uh, that they decided to recognize us with that award. Well, now from the beginning, Farm Bureau has not uh, dissed you, if you will, disrespected you. They, they pretty much stepped up and said, this could be a product in the future. Let's see what it'll do. Cause it's legal from the beginning of the time you started handling it. Yes. There was a lot of misinformation out there about him uh, when we first started growing in 2019. And simple things like ensuring our processing 
was quite the feat in front of us. And so we actually went to our local insurance agent that was taking care of our farm and our personal use and company. And we said, Hey, we've essentially, we've got to spend money somewhere. We might as well do it with you. Um, but we need help writing this policy. We need help um, getting this pushed through Farm Bureau. And so with our agent and then the help of the underwriters, we actually wrote the first commercial hemp policy for um, the U.S. Very interesting. That wasn't, I guess that wasn't like a specifically like a hemp company. So this was like mainstream, normal company. You uh, told me when I was there that you had the vision that there could be quite a number of growers and then a few processors for hemp to where that almost like an ethanol plant, you had the capability of, uh, of taking in what they grew and utilizing it within a circle of a certain number of miles from where they were. Are you still of the belief that you can uh, have more than just a circle you guys are utilizing right now to expand it across your state and others? You have a great memory. But yes, that is exactly what we're doing. So we have a growers group, and this is a group of farmers that have entrusted us to teach them the ways of growing hemp. And what we do is we have a growers meeting at the beginning of the year. We kind of lay out of what we need in terms of hemp coming into our processing facility. We sign contracts. We provide the seed to them. They do what they do best, which is farm. And then they bring those, those bales into us and then we purchase them from them. So it's very, very easy, very cookie cutter. And our farmers, they excel in our program. It sounds like you haven't let off at all from what you were doing, but how many hills have you been able to climb? One of them was you didn't have any herbicides you could use on hemp. Where are you in that case now? Still no herbicides. Um, but I think that's kind of where the expertise of Aaron and Richard, you know, they're fourth generation farmers. They've been on the farm since day one. We have a great agronomist on our team. And then with my background as a research scientist and different attention to details that more attention to detail than what most people have, we just are really set up for success. And so with a little bit of experience and a little bit of documentation, you know, changing different things each year, we've been really able to develop the correct seeding rate. We've been able to develop uh, when to plant, what varieties to plant. And that's really been just a great attribute of our team is the skill sets that we bring. In just a moment, we'll come back and uh, we'll talk more with Melissa Nelson Baldwin about growing hemp. She does it in the middle of Kansas. And uh, she has great hopes for the future, for the industrial side of this product. Let's take a moment to talk with Taylor Parker, president of Concept by Iowa Hearing. Taylor, are there widely used medications that can negatively impact our hearing? Great question, and yes, there are. There are over 200 prescribed or over-the-counter medications that can attribute to hearing loss. And... You know, when you're looking, when we're talking about, you know, medications, the average person over the age of seven or over the age of 55, excuse me, 72% of people over the age of 55 take at least one drug and two thirds of all drug reaction, adverse drug reactions occur over the age of 60. So you're talking almost 
three quarters of the you know population over 55 take at least one drug or one medication. You know, we're talking simple drugs from an aspirin regimen. An aspirin regimen, and we're not talking baby aspirin, we're talking regular size aspirin. If you take an aspirin regimen um, five days a week or more, you have an increased risk of hearing loss by 26%. Um, some of the big ones are diuretics. So people that have uh, high blood pressure, kidney disease, um, like the myosin group, you know, erythromycin, vancomycin, that whole myosin group um, can attribute to hearing loss. Um, hydrocodone, um, you know, um, oxycotton, you know, um, Rush Limbaugh is the famous one for that because he, you know, got addicted to the oxycotton and that caused his hearing loss. Then he had to get a cochlear implant. So, you know, and, and he was very honest at, you know, toward the end about what, you know, what caused that. Um, chemotherapy drugs. So if anyone has gone through chemotherapy, chemotherapy wreaks havoc, not only on your body, but on your hearing as well. Um, you know, the little blue pill, little blue pill uh, can attribute to hearing loss. So there are, you know, many different, uh, you know, medications, whether they're over the counter prescribed, um, that can attribute to hearing loss. So the best thing to do is, is, you know, get with your doctor and the pharmacist to find out what the side effects are. If there are other medications, maybe where, certain um certain side effects are less with one versus another and it's just having that open dialogue you know with your with your providers to really understand are there you know ramifications for the medications i'm taking and sometimes there's just you know there, there's no other choice but to take the medication just understanding um that it can attribute to hearing loss and, and it's something you need to monitor thank you taylor schedule your free hearing screening at concept by iowa hearing you can reach them at 877-955-4020 or online at iowahearing.com. Melissa, when I think back of my trip out there to see you, I basically volunteered to come out there, and she, you agreed. And so I showed up, and you threw me in the truck with you, and away we went. And uh, we went out to a field that... Uh, we had to wade through the Palmer Amaranth to get to the hemp, but the hemp had just been cut and there were no weeds in it. And I thought, wow, how can this be? Because it's up against the, the worst weed in America today. And yet you had been able to grow it without herbicides right next to it. What's the secret? So the secret is cover crops. The secret is planting timing it is finding the right variety in your area that can really thrive. The variety that we have found to be very successful has very fan leaves. We've also found that drilling on seven and a half inch rows works better than 15 or 30 inch rows. So we're achieving canopy cover under 30 days from time of planting. And so you've just kind of got to really play your cards right and set yourself up for success. And then the hemp will take care of the rest from there. I have read quite a bit about the marijuana plant and, uh, I'm speaking in general about it because I think it's fascinating and I want to get your take on this. Supposedly through the years, it's been changed a great deal for one reason. And that was to get more THC out of it. And it appears to be a, a plant that is malleable and changeable. And of course, with our breeding techniques that we have in so many plants today, we know how to do this. Is there any work being done to modify the industrial side of hemp to be able to bring that plant more in line with the potential needs of the customer? Absolutely. 
we're already seeing breeding enhancements from when we started in 2019. And I know it's no different than from those farmers that actually started with hemp in 2014, uh, back when the U.S. had five states that, you know, that could legally grow. Kansas didn't come online till 18 with 19 being our first season. But the companies that we're working with in terms of advancing genetics are listening to our feedback as farmers and as researchers. We see universities coming down the pipeline with uh, different varieties and trying to find which varieties shine in what regions. And so it's not any different than any other crop. I know it's a little taboo and there's a lot of people that do not like GMOs or CRISPR or like that, but I would love to see the technology continue to advance to him because we do, eventually we will run into disease pressure. We will run into insect pressure. Um, there just isn't enough of this plant out there right now to really have a lot of those pressures compared to like corn, which has 90 million acres in the United States. You know, you've got farmers doing corn on corn on corn, which increases disease and insect susceptibility. You know, him, him just isn't there yet in terms of rotation and volume, but I do think you need to continue to look down the pipeline and you have to continue to advance genetics and breeding in order for it to be successful and profitable for farmers. Do you feel like you are in the right place for production of this crop? And I asked that from a couple of perspectives. One is, you know, does it grow well in your area? And the other one is, are you such that the competitive crops that a farmer could plant are not so productive, like in the Corn Belt, to where that uh, hemp would not be able to hold up in competition with them on end value? So to answer this question, I'm say yes. Yes, in terms of herd production or even grain production, but more focused in fiber production, we are in an area where hemp can really shine. You know, we don't have the highest value soils. Most of the soils are sandy or sandy loam. We don't have the, the, the volume or the bushels um, Iowa or Indiana or Illinois are pumping out in terms of corn. So we have farmers here that are looking to diversify their crop portfolio. They're different alternatives and are looking for a way to bring in new revenue streams. Now for fiber and grain production, the way to be successful is volume. So you are looking in terms of wide open spaces, you need acres. Um, if you are looking to grow marijuana or CBD production, you know, that can be done per plant basis that can be done in a greenhouse that's very much small and more horticultural based. And when you think Kansas, you think wide open spaces, and that's really where industrial hemp for fiber and, and grain production can can thrive. Melissa, let's uh, finish up with the products of hemp. And you had a really good demonstration you gave me, but we're audio only here. And I've heard some failures lately. One of them to get that out of the way was that in Iowa, they were trying to 3d print a hempcrete home. And once they started on it, and this was a university project, they had the concrete tested and it did not meet the 5,000 pound measurement. I'm not sure what that measurement is. And they said it won't work and they tore it down and started over again. Is that surprising to you? 
Yes and no. There's always a learning curve. Am I disappointed that it failed? Absolutely. Like I love seeing success in the industry. Um, but I think you would be remiss if you expected everything to go right the first time. And so I think we're seeing that. I know they'll bounce back. I know they'll make those adjustments and that will be part of their story. And so once they achieve that success and they achieve a house that meets the codes that they're looking for, then, then they'll be able to learn from their mistakes and, and be able to share that. I mean, honestly, that's how we got started. Our first year in 2019, we absolutely did everything wrong that you could think of in terms of farming, like not our beans or anything like that, but in terms of growing a hemp crop, you know, we planted the wrong variety. We planted at the wrong time. Um, we had insects move in. And the reason now that I can confidently give recommendations for how to grow it is because I've grown it wrong. And we've been able to find the right ways to make this, this crop um, grow successfully. And it's the same with our processing facility. How many times did our facility manager have to tweak our machine before we were really happy with the product coming out of it? We didn't just switch the over and have a premium product. So there is a learning curve to this. Um, I am sad to see them, quote unquote, fail the first time, uh, but I know they'll bounce back and, and continue to grow as a company. Well, I totally agree with you, and I don't take it that you're defensive in this regard. I just have a good friend who always says, you know, you get experience, and experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. And oh, so Ken, that, I uh, am full of full of life experiences the last five <laughs> years. Um, yeah, and I definitely am not defensive of them. You know, I'm just, I think some people expect perfection at the very beginning. And I think because of social media and because people are only seeing quote unquote, the highlight reel of everybody's life, they don't see the opportunities of growth or the times of growth because everybody put that on social media or, you know, like to highlight the areas that they failed in. Speaking of social media, are you still as active as you were when I talked to you last year? Absolutely. Um, our, our growers get our fan base continues to grow. Um, I get to do podcasts. We still have our radio show. We bring people out. We actually are certified agritourism from the state of Kansas. Uh, so that was one, um, certificate that we got this year or certification that we got this past summer. So very, very proud of that. Yeah. I, I love sharing our story. I love helping anybody that's interested in the industry and I love connecting people to agriculture hemp's a driver to do that what are some products that people could look for uh, or could find on the internet that have a a hemp component to them today that are good products yeah so i mean the first and the easiest and probably the most cheapest is animal bedding so if you have rabbits or poultry or horses or really anything um that is needing bedding Animal bedding is available on Amazon, um, Eaton Pet and Pasture. We service them and they use our herd. Uh, you know, it's just really animal bedding is a premium and premium bedding for, for that. That's the easiest to get a hold of. I mean, obviously you could go find your hemp t-shirts and they have shoes now and hemp traders out in California has fabrics that you can buy. If you are someone that enjoys sewing, um, they also have rope that you can purchase as well. 
Um, if you're into more of the building sector, you purchase your herd, you purchase lime. There's companies out there doing hemp blocks and they're essentially like Lego blocks. And so you can put insulation in your house and say, hey, I need 2000 blocks to fill this room. And then they show up on pallets. There's lots more products that are becoming more mainstream. One other area that I sent you an article in the Wall Street Journal the other day about airlines that are trying to offset their amount of uh, CO2 pollution, that they are taking sawdust, bricking it, covering it with a sealant, and burying it. And I wonder how cost competitive your product might be to that. In terms of volume, I'm going to say that we probably are not cost competitive at the moment. So the the example that I'm going to give you is we have a lot of consumers and manufacturers because of consumers that are trending towards more um, sustainable plastics. So they want bioplastics. They want water bottles that are going to degrade in 30 days compared to the petroleum plastics, but they're wanting it at petroleum plastic prices. And if I talked about at the beginning of the podcast, we only have 51,000 acres in the United States. The volume isn't there for us to be competitive with something like sawdust, which I don't even know how many trees are going through sawmills a day. Um, so do I think we'll get there? Absolutely. Are we there right now? Probably not. I salute you for the work you do and how young your industry is because it actually had a start date in 2018. Uh, it was for research purposes to begin with. And you picked it up after that. So all your history is very, very short. But I also want to say that you have the nicest fingernails of any farmer <laughs> I have ever met. <laughs> Purple today. <laughs> and uh, you, uh, you handle yourself so well. I'm saying this complimentary totally. But you have an image that I think is very good for your industry. And I hope you, I hope you exploit that as best you can in the way that you feel comfortable doing. So what I've learned is that nobody is better at being me than me. And so why would I be any? So what you see on social media for Aaron, Richard and I, and any of our staff or any, you know, any of our team, it's just, us. and so it's, there's no facade, facade. There's, it's just fun. It's fun. And we love what we do. And it's very easy to let that light shine because we're just our genuine selves. So thank you for saying that. Well, say hi to your husband and your brother-in-law and uh, sister-in-law and congratulate all them on Farm Bureau's Farm Family of the Year. And uh, Melissa, we'll follow you. What is the best way to find you on the internet? Yeah, so you can find us at southbendindustrialhemp.com. Uh, you can find us on Google. South Bend Hemp, uh, Instagram, South Bend Industrial Hemp for Facebook, or you can find me on LinkedIn at Melissa Nelson. All right. Wonderful. Thank you very much for talking with me. No problem. Have a good evening. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down.
down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe?